0: Are you doing that in a way that it can evolve its own essence? Do you know what its essence is? Does it know, Do we have, a, have we spent the time being able to see it and gotten our own ego out of the way so we don't impose it? If you haven't done all that work, stop using the term regeneration. And when people say to me they're a regenerative anything, I said, oh, whose capacity do you evolve? And they start telling me what they do for them. And I say, oh, you're a do good person, not a regenerative. So can you answer me, because I think you have begun to think of yourself as a regenerative (laughs) permaculture, am I right? I bet you've used those words. Come on. Oh, no. Hey,
1: everybody. Dan Palmer here, welcoming you back to the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast. It's March 24, 2020. This is episode 33, and we find ourselves in unprecedented crazy, mad, extraordinary situation, a global pandemic, the coronavirus situation enveloping the globe, impacting our lives in ways that are unprecedented in our lives, uh, and that will have huge implications for the shape of the rest of our lives, uh, that will probably kill people we all know, poses enormous risk uh, to ourselves, to people we love, and so on so the fact that this is happening is something that this podcast is now going to focus in on i know that for a lot of us myself included it's been a real it's been a struggle to make sense our sense-making capacity has been really tested to and beyond its limits with this thing evolving so fast and i've heard from People in permaculture too, where of course permaculture's long-term focus on cultivating local resilience and being in a position where you're not dependent on fragile, globalised supply systems and all that kind of stuff is is seamlessly relevant. Um, and yet there's the sense in which, um, I mean, I'll, I'll read out a comment from a, a New Zealand listener, Ron Sperber, that came through a few days back. They're thinking about how they take a lot of their stuff online and of course want to make what they're teaching Um, with permaculture relevant to the, the global pandemic and he said which brings me to my main question how does permaculture and our design principles inform on a pandemic like this especially in a largely reactive environment such as we're seeing have you had any thoughts discussions or recent posts on this topic i'd love to hear you release some musings on this topic on your podcast which has been very stimulating to date prod prod where i want to go with this is to attempt at least to bring a lot of the things we've been exploring with regard to design process to bear on the current situation. And today I am going to share my second conversation with Carol Sanford, which I only had like three days back, um, which will will kind of segue or transfer us into the, the space of really attempting to make sense of what's happening all around us right now and hopefully adding some value. It's certainly going to be useful for me to work these things out as I go along. Today, Carol will share a framework uh, involving four paradigms, which as she explains are kind of like containers that the mind sits within as it tries to make sense and interpret and, uh, and take action and, and whatnot. And uh, in the chat, we do touch on coronavirus and how these things might apply to it. As I say at the end of the chat, I, I was inspired to to sit with this and, and, and develop its application myself. And the night after the podcast sometimes I do this thing where in my sleep or half sleep I I work on ideas and a lot of clarity emerged for me. Enough clarity that I don't think I'm going to tack it onto this episode, I'll make that the focus of the next episode and my sense after that is I want to um, share a little bit about how the work on generative transformation or more of an alive or living design process can be of of relevance as we having to change direction very fast, stay abreast of emerging trends and what's happening day by day make decisions and act where there's no time for detailed design there's no time for or as soon as a plan is finished it's useless because things are changing so fast and I also have an inclination or an impulse to share on the topic of holistic decision making which is an approach to articulating deep intention or a context or in a sense the, the DNA of your family or an organization or yourself that you can then use as a, as a is something to guide your decision making, and I know that all of us are under probably a lot of pressure. Um, it's very easy to fall into reactive patterns, to be biased by the the psychology of the the, the group, um, and all that kind of stuff. How do we position ourselves to make decisions that are um, aligned with our own values and ethics and um, and, and deep priorities? So anyway, that's where I'll, I'll be heading with it. I think we'll launch into the chat with Carol now, uh, and I'll maybe reflect a little bit more um, along these lines at the end, and we'll take it from there. Amazing, by the way, that Carol agreed to do this. Uh, I, I've fallen in love with the body of work she represents, and I'm a student of hers now after our last chat, where she kind of wiped the floor with me, but inspired me to to keep going uh, and learn more. It's a, a great honor to have to have her back on the show enjoy and I'll, I'll check in with you again at the end all right well i'm deeply excited to have a second conversation with you carol thanks so much for agreeing to come back on the show
0: my pleasure
1: when i interviewed you last year in the last year i really didn't have much of a clue about who you were or what the body of work you're i i don't know a conduit of or that you work from it was all about i'd had a look at one of your books it was 10 years old or something like that and a few blog posts And since then i've become deeply fascinated by the work and getting a lot of value from it and join your one of your change agent communities which maybe we can talk about later on as you know so so i went in pretty blind last time and now at least i have something more of a clue of who i'm dealing with and the, the depth of where you're coming from great one thing i'd love to do is simultaneously deepen my own understanding and share some of the core Ideas, frameworks, distinctions that I've been learning from you, and one of them is. Oh, by the way, just so I don't forget, it would be great to talk a little bit about your new book too, which I'm looking forward to taking delivery of in the next few days. Right. But um, yeah, one of them is the. I think you call it the paradigms with the five levels. Well, four. maybe, four. Okay, yeah. If you wouldn't yeah. mind introducing those, and then sure. it'd be fun to play around with how those can be used and applied.
0: Sure, happy to do that. So let me a couple of things in front of that about why i'm interested in that subject we often hear the concept of paradigm shift you know and there's the jokes of two dimes laid laid on a paper in the u.s anyway two dimes and that that's what it means to shift those around well paradigm shift means to do that sort of at the level of what the mind can see and how it conceives of the world and I was driven by Einstein's. In fact, he said this 17 different ways that the major challenge we have as humans trying to reconcile or evolve away from where we are is we use the same mind we're in in order to try and create the next iteration. And then until we stop doing that, we can't get there. I hear people quote that all the time and they have no idea what it means. Uh, And so I have written, I wrote a 30-page white paper on what Einstein means, and it has in there what we're going to talk about here. So I knew when Einstein said that, that it related to this idea of paradigms, which is similar to worldviews, but it literally means you can see things at different levels of complexity, and you can make sense out of it at more close to reality, the more you can understand the dynamics, the complexity, and how it integrates. Rather than flattening it, to some smaller, uh, not unmeaningful necessarily, but limited view. But I also had a background to draw on to work on Einstein's question, which probably only 50 people in the world ever had. And that was Thomas Kuhn, who created the concept of Paradigm Shift, Uh was a visiting faculty member at the University of California at Berkeley when I was an undergraduate there. And I was in philosophy. Uh, I mean, I not uh, that wasn't my major, but I was taking classes and becoming totally enamored of philosophy. And one of the things we were introduced to, and I think Kuhn may have even come to the class that day, was the idea of philosophy of science. And I'd always been curious about science, but wasn't a scientist. And he had been studying scientists. Well, I decided to go over and sit in his class. And first, I just went and sat in, and I finally got in. Uh, admitted to actually attend to his philosophy of science class. And the day that he introduced the idea of paradigms was my first introduction to this really meant that people hold a container in which they think all the truth and all the way of examining it exists. And if you do everything in that container, you will find truth. And what he said was, if you look through time, what that container holds, and even how it's bounded, shifts every few eras. And suddenly, the people who are looking at that early container go, wait a minute, There's, it's been, the cracks have been coming along for a long time, things have been disagreeing with it, but people would fight to hold that container in place. That was fascinating to me because I'd been raised in a really religious environment where truth came from one source and you didn't ever disagree. And now he was introduced and I had let go of that particular idea. But I now had Thomas Kuhn's idea and that was in, what, 1964 or 5. And I set out on a course to figure out what that meant. And it took me... Some years of my own doctoral work, my own research, my own testing to see that we had simultaneously in existence, but had been created in different eras of time, four paradigms at work. And part of the reason we can't speak to each other and we think the other people are crazy and wrong and evil and all those other things we say is we're literally standing in a different container. And those containers also begin to see are hierarchical in the degree not of rightness or wrongness although there's some of that but we can talk later about whether that's not completely true but in terms of what they can let us see how much they can open us up to uh what capacity they can give for us to make sense of things that in another container we can't put together so that's paradigms all right so mm-hmm. that's how i got to all that mm-hmm. Einstein mm-hmm. driving me crazy Thomas Kuhn giving me a door, and then about 20 years before I finally had my own way of explaining it, and I've refined it. The four paradigms, and I'm going to start primarily with the one that emerged in the industrial revolution, or the two industrial revolutions, where capitalism took hold, and manufacturing took hold, and the mercantilism was starting to uh, be expanded into many people could own businesses and and particularly that you could make money with money because before that didn't exist. And that birthed what I call the extract value paradigm, that paradigm means that when I put in effort, I expect to get back a return on that. And hopefully I'm wishing I would get back more than I put in. Now, that idea had existed not very much and it had been forbidden in all the major religions of the world for you to get interest or get back more. Uh, but now it was embedded in an economic theory uh, and pretty soon it was embedded in everything. So exact, extract value is a very self-referential view. And self-referential can be me individually, or it can be my community or my nation because you know nations build wars over who owns the resources and who gets them. And all that's happening at this level of paradigm. As that idea emerged, we begin to see that people begin to take action, which wasn't necessarily healthy for the people they were taking it against or the beings like earth and Forests and resources that uh, affected watersheds, and they would do it just for the return. And the resources and the assets you could own became the driver. That still sits as probably the lowest order nature of extract value. But over time, there have been very there have been people who pushed back against that and said, "Well, you know." I need to save for my retirement. Nobody's going to help me. I need to put money in something. I need to get interest and I'd like to invest and I'd like to invest in something that keeps up with inflation. And so people begin to see, oh, what would you might call it, a friendlier version of extract value. So I have come to call this level value return. And extract value is the kind of the low end of it where I extract it out of the earth or out of other people. And I don't care much about what happens to them. They're on their own to value return, where I assume there is some reciprocity and certainly not necessarily harm, but it's still very self-referential. So there's first level. How are we doing?
1: Yeah, that is good. It's great to get into this level of nuance. So the the first level has those kind of those two ends.
0: Yeah. Ranges from extract value to
1: value return. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Right.
0: Uh, So it's all self-referential, whatever the self is. Then at the next paradigm, which started to emerge, and actually I should say that this paradigm and a couple of the others I'm going to talk about existed uh, in indigenous communities for a very long time. Because indigenous communities, and not all of them, and not in perpetuity because many have been so colonized we've convinced them that extract value is a a okay or you have to do that to survive
1: Mm. but
0: the idea that anybody owned anything did not exist and still does not in many indigenous communities so i don't want to make it sound like everybody is there and that this only came into existence later Uh, i mean i was raised by a part mohawk grandfather right who really was opposed to people owning things but he said i'm always making compromises all right so the next level up that emerged and this emerged really strongly in the 20th century and more like the middle of the 20th century and again not because no one had this thought but because a majority of us were starting to see that it was less self-referential and now it became well what i'm defining is me is much bigger than my physical being it is now me and the planet i live on me and the society i live in um me and the communities of which i'm a part and i can see that this older paradigm that's you know been around since at least the industrial revolution is harmful it actually is entropic if if we keep extracting from earth the way we are and we keep creating inequality in societies the way we do, I will end up suffering, and so will the beings that are there. And a few would say, and the people who are doing the harm will suffer, but they can't see yet. That's a fairly nuanced, sophisticated view, different than I need to get something because I'm putting in my effort. So you can see that switch from self-referential to what I consider me and um, my community, what I belong to, is now taken into account. Now, the energy out of that one, because it was reactive to the extract value, became trying to slow it down, stop it, bring consciousness to it, and it became what I call arrest the disorder, arrest disorder, do less harm. And so there were policy work on it, there were demonstrations, I was a part of those when I was in the 60s, I got arrested all trying to do something because I could see the disorder and I could see the racism. I, you know, tried to do things about, and I wasn't very good at any of that. I became part of some Greenpeace demonstrations. I mean, all of that was trying to get people that, who I saw the enemy, the big corporations, mm-hmm. who were doing harm, but I quit thinking of people as evil. I quit, more started thinking I was educated, unable to see, and it was my job to help do that. I kept seeing that what we had to do is build policy practices and consciousness around doing less harm. Now, we know that today by a series of different names. The permaculture movement has a bit of that, although it's a little more at the next level up. But what really fits with that is the sustainability movement and even the organic farming and gardening movement. It all came out of arrest disorder. The circular economy comes out of this, trying to think what are all the people who had this shift in consciousness or were born into a time where it was more prevalent, and they all became activists. The problem of this number of different things is it really splintered any effective effort, and so you would get a conference on sustainability, a circular economy conference, a organic farming and everybody had their own separate thing and we're sure they had the way but all of it was about arresting disorder
1: and I love that way of framing it too, of doing less harm or less doing less, less harm I think if you I, say less bad let's do this right
0: less bad I have I invented a story which I now hear other people telling and I laugh because they don't know where it came from because I am trained partly as a psychologist and I did a lot of internships I mean not partly I was trained as a cognitive a clinical psychologist I saw a lot of harm that happened in families because I did family therapy and stuff for a while and I could see that when I was working with them that and this is in retrospect not while I was in it I had long left that practice but I could see that the people I was working with particularly fathers were always trying to be what they call a less bad father yeah you know and I would say, okay, you want to beat your kids less. And they would be startled. And I said, well, that's what less bad is. Well, I, 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 don't, I hardly ever hit my kids. No, I probably shouldn't hit them at all. And I said, no, no, that's not my point. My point is that it's not about doing less bad with your children. At that point, I would say doing good. I wouldn't say that now because I think the next level up is not complete. And we'll talk about that in a 2nd but I I then went to conferences, I spoke and said, the arrest disorder is about beating your wife less, you know, or missing fewer of your children's teacher, parent-teacher conferences. That's the arrest disorder mind, and that's still incredibly prevalent. If you look at what's happening with the next economy, and I'm working right now with Ben Haggard, who you know, on a new perspective article on how to help people think about the next economy, get to a regenerate life paradigm instead of the arrest disorder where 90% of people are, are writing. And I can see why. I mean, the inequality, the injustices, the ability to actually have criminal activity while qualifying as a sustainability green yeah, you know, it drives you nuts, so you can see how people get that that paradigm.
1: Yeah, that's great. What one sort of take home for me that I hadn't noticed before was that the whole idea of sustainability is part of that second layer. And I guess there's obviously a continuum there because you can be doing less bad and then sustainability can someone sometimes get to the point of, well, let's try not to do any bad at all. And does that take you up to the edge of the next paradigm or
0: first I've never heard anyone say that. They usually make the step into the next level. Okay. Uh, pretty quickly. And I'll use Jeffrey Hollander as an example, founder of seventh generation and now on the board of Unilever. I worked with Jeffrey. He had owned his company for 20 years and he had had this powerful vision, mission, purpose about creating a sustainable worldview. And and he wasn't getting very far plus his company wasn't making enough money to create a platform. And after I'd been there about six months, I introduced to him these levels. And he said, oh, my God, we've been trying to slow a train. It's in a dark tunnel. We can't even see what we're doing. And we keep demanding things. I need to switch to doing good. And that's what happens to most people. Once they become aware, especially I've spoken at so many conferences, people Moved pretty quickly. I think, I think I started really speaking about this 20 years ago. And the number of people now who have been exposed to me or the you know, thousands of people who work with me have shifted. And I think it's almost like a big shift. They don't go to, they, I mean, they finally realize what Zeno, you know, Zeno, the mathematical philosopher said, Zeno's, Zeno's paradox, mm-hmm. you can't get halfway there and halfway there because there's never a there half just slows down the rate at Mm. which you slow down the harm or slow down the progress. So I think people make a pretty good switch, but they don't know that they actually switched into a, they're just way behind and switching into a paradigm, which cannot get them there either. So that's my answer to you.
1: When you say switching to a paradigm that can't get them either, you mean switching into doing good. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. The next step.
1: Yeah. Let's hear about 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 that. And then why it can't get us there either. Okay. Exciting.
0: So do good seems like an obvious response to don't work on just doing less bad. Do something good. I mean, the logic of that is unquestionable, right? And it makes you feel so good. Now, let's ask who defines what good is? That's what really gets us in trouble Uh, because we were doing our less bad from what we thought was the wrong thing to be doing uh, those folks who were at the extract value particularly and we decided that what we would do as you said instead of just getting to doing no harm well wait we ought to really do good and we know what that is yeah now we've seen that happen with the and i even had someone from the gates foundation call me not long ago who wanted to she'd heard one of my talks or read a heard a podcast or something about these and said and you were talking about us the gates foundation and our move into Africa and our decision about how we were going to move there to stop malaria and the way we were going to do it and what we were going to fund it, who was in charge and you know, on and on yep. and on. And anybody who wanted to work with us had to follow our worldview. Yep. I said, yep, that's the real problem with do good is it is the foundation off of which every nation, every peoples have been colonized by the do-gooders, that's why we call them the do-gooders. So you get Gates Foundation colonizing healthcare, but you also have a whole set of other philanthropic organizations who are trying to bring the right thing. And some, and believe it or not, some of the work that we do in the name of foreign aid and foreign policy all is, well, I'm sure you believe this, is often done in the name of doing good, this is mm-hmm. what they really need. They don't know it. they're dumb natives or you know whatever the image is we have, yep. uh, and they'll be better off. In fact, if you go read some of the studies of slavery, people actually convince themselves that bringing black Africans out of Eastern Africa was good for them. Yep. And then they would sell the slaveholders, owners that, and they would show them what, how bad their life had been in Africa and how they lived with no clothes on and not being able to eat ever so often, disease and stuff, and saying, you can give them so much more. You can give them housing well, mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing how much the do-good paradigm mm-hmm. creates. And it's often social harm, more at the do-good level, because it is culturally invasive. It's yeah, particularly culturally and socially, socially invasive. But there's one other thing about the do good, which is it came out of the human potential movement. And the human potential movement was a reaction to behaviorism, where John Watson, I think we talked about this last time. We did,
1: yep, go into that.
0: Yeah, all the study of rats and rats being translated to human. And the human potential movement in the 1960s, and this is while I was in school also we're saying wait humans are not rats you they are they're mammals but they don't have i would say they don't have three brains they have basically two brains and are driven mostly by fairly low level stimulus response so it was easy to classify them but the translation to humans wasn't complete the human potential moments, abraham maslow the the whole community of folks who were looking at it said Humans actually have the ability to be conscious, to be choiceful. They can choose their own behavior. They can be self-determining. That was a pretty big step, and it, ha- it drew a lot of people out of the field of psychology, which was a brand new field and was following behaviorism and machine theory and artificial intelligence, all of whom the human potential was questioning. They were all pulled into the human potential movement. It exploded overnight. We have, I think, 30 human potential-based uh, education universities in the U.S. That a few years ago was the number. Uh-huh. That's how big it became. You know, that, That's like Fielding Institute, Saybrook. Um, there, there are many others. Now, if I was telling you at the bottom, it was self-referential, yeah. The arrest disorder itself, the self gets redefined. Yep. At the yep. third level, it becomes human referential.
1: Uh, okay.
0: Right? So the, the colonizing, people who were doing good often did good for the natives while they raped the land and stripped the trees and all the resources because that wasn't a part of that paradigm. You didn't do good. Earth wasn't included in what was your reference point. Yeah. Yep. So one of the things we and, and that didn't mean everyone in the human potential movement did that, because there's always a mix of paradigms. People start to blur them, and they use a little of this, a little of that. Yep, but yep. the primary overall driver of the do good paradigm came from, from human potential and particularly a white man's view of good and the transfer of wealth. There was a huge amount of money. We should transfer wealth but it was all based on the white man's view of what money should be spent on. So that's exhausting. Now, so in this one, you can see there's some good stuff like, oh yeah, humans can be self-determining. Great. They're not rats. They aren't forced into mazes and running and incentives and cheese at the end of the tunnel. However, they are in charge and you will still see a lot of references to human design. Human work design, human yep. systems, and all of those having an underpinning, maybe contaminated with um, some other things, will have in them a human-centered view and can't see the necessity humans have being nested in the living system.
1: So we, we've got a continuum there, right? Because with the example of the slaves, you've got slave owners who bought a slave today and they go home sleeping really well, thinking about the good they've just done in the world. But it also
0: has the extract value in it, right?
1: Yes, that's right. That's 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 in that smoothie. And then is that right at the other end of the continuum? What's human potential, where it's like it's authentically about supporting you to, as a human, to realize yourself. To realize
0: your potential. Yeah. Right. And uh, some of that originally was with smoking pot and LSD, and a lot of that's the source. The people who did that first work were legitimately discovering ways for humans to see and know things that they couldn't without those substances mushrooms and of course native peoples had used them but had used them in ceremony to be able to see and rituals and some of the human potential movement did that still does that using mushrooms to be able to open consciousness so that we can see plants and Mm -hmm. understand they're alive and you know whatever one does when they're engaging with mushrooms so yes on one end, there was the intention of saying, wait a minute, humans haven't even begun to tap what they could do. Let's figure out how to do it. There was tons of studies at Harvard, at, I, there was at Berkeley where I was, people who were working on that actively. Uh,
1: the thing that Penny has dropped for me at some point is the idea that you can't do good unless you've got some conception of what good is.
0: Well, and I'm not even sure there is such a thing. Uh, you have to go to regenerate level before you can come back and do good, our next level up.
1: Yeah, okay, let's go there.
0: Okay, I used to call this level evolved capacity. And I obviously, as I use them and engage with people, I begin to see more, a better name that will hold things and part of them then become definitions or sub And this is the case here. I now call this level regenerate life. And I switched to it when I wrote the regenerative business because I could see that, In evolving capacity was one aspect that was core. If you didn't have evolved capacity of yourself, of all those you served, of all of those you touched, including all beings, giving them the capacity to live their essence expression out, then you weren't really regenerating their life. If you were trying to do good for them, you were not, about saying how to evolve their capacity in terms of what they're seeking to achieve. So now if I'm Microsoft, I have to, and I wanna help wipe out malaria, which, you know, that's not a bad idea. You know, it that and now we've got this virus and another, you know, but of course part of what we keep doing is making the bugs resistant to the previous solution. So if you get to regenerate life, you would actually, ask and there are native people speaking to this in the last few weeks. I just got another one in the email that have a an interpretation of our inability to see and communicate with all other life forms of which we are just one is what gets us in trouble. We always see it and say, kill it, you know, get a vaccine so it can't get us, protect us. And what we're doing is accelerating, and I don't think that's news to anybody. We're accelerating the virility that these Um, bugs have. So if we regenerate life level, we don't arrest disorder. See, that was an arrest disorder, kill the bug, get a vaccine, let it not affect me, rather than, hmm, what is this being? What's it trying to to achieve? Where does it come from? What is sourcing it? Uh, How does it fit in a larger context? We don't have the capacity as humans to have a mind that can ask that question. I went to the headwaters of the Amazon in Ecuador 30 years ago, very long time ago, and hung out for two weeks with a variety of shamans. It was a mind-blowing experience. I did not do ayahuasca, but I had a lot of folks in the group with me that did, and I became, I think, I can't remember what they called me, but I was a, a force that could watch for harm because there are leopards and things around there. But one of the things that the translation I was getting, because I speak Spanish, or I did then, but not well enough to get it. But I got through the translation that this shaman who was engaging with people was communicating with the ayahuasca plant and was asking, what was the appropriate dose for this person? and at, talking to the person about them, and nobody was given the same amount. It wasn't assumed to be a standard thing. It was assumed to come through a conversation. Now, I don't know whether it's true. I, at the time, uh, even chose not to be judgmental about it, but I thought that's a really different, interesting idea, that you can have conversations with living entities. And then I married a guy who talked to trees. And he was one of the best foresters in the Crown Zellerback Company and ran all the nurseries. And we had, everybody was stunned by the quality and health of the forest we had. And you would swear, now people think I'm insane for this, but you would swear, when Dave walked through the forest, the trees leaned toward him. It was like, he got them. They got him. Now, that is, there's somewhere between that, which people might not could grasp, And the idea of actually being able to study, look at, make sense of how a forest and how trees work with one. I mean, we have a little research that if a disease hits one side, the trees become uh, immune to that on the other side of the forest within a very short period of time. That we know by traditional science, and it's related to this ability to understand. They understand, they talk to each other, and we don't. So it Regenerate Life Levels, And permaculture doesn't do this either. I wish permaculture would add this. They have much more standard principles about how you mix and match and put things together. And again, it's better than the um, do less harm, but it's not all the way to understand the working of life. And then here's the important question. Once I can understand it and I can communicate and I'm not imposing my ego and projecting my definition of good. I now can figure out how to support what that being, that community, that nation considers good for them. And I may even can do some education, but they still are choosing, it's not me imposing. And I can ask what capacity do they need to be able to do that? How can I increase and evolve their capacity and have it be aligned with who they are? So when I worked in South Africa all those years ago, We did some essence work with a group. We had eight tribes who were part of the Colgate group. And we did essence work. And they were so amazingly easy to access because they had not been in the public schools, right? These were Black Africans. And the thing that they said was, we have always been the birthplace of life forever. This is where we think humans may have been birthed. Maybe not the first cities, but certainly this may be where humans move from whatever to whatever And then we are now birthing the new South Africa. And they could give me a stream of things in between that had happened there. And we realized that was it. So now how do we take birthing life, which is South Africa, and have that be how we look at helping and changing and using that as a design criteria? So there's essence. How do we have that be what gets expressed? And how do we evolve their capacity to do that? And when people say to me they're regenerative anything, I said, oh, whose capacity do you evolve? and they start telling me what they do for them. And I say, oh, you're a do good person, not a regenerative. No, mm. I am regenerating, I'm making resilient, I'm renewing, I'm doing good things wrong. Okay, you're do good. And people can't get that, that they're mm. still imposing and defining things at a lower paradigm.
1: This is this is fantastic. Because uh, what I would like to do now is to is to run back through them and apply them to a few different things to support myself and listeners to who I'm sure are like, yeah, this is, this is powerful, useful. useful yeah, we should go
0: back down too. And yeah, show yeah. That's right. Okay. Um,
1: so before we do that, I just caught it then, as you said, it, and I was imaging someone saying that to me, yeah, I'm regenerating, whatever I'm regenerating this, these people, this, that phrasing is do good. What you're talking about is, is resourcing whatever you're working with to regenerate itself, to evolve, you're supporting to evolve its capacity. to Whereas,
0: regenerate its essence of right. itself.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Another and to
0: evolve its capacity to do that, not my capacity to do it for you. Yeah. Yeah. So can you answer me? Because I think you have begun to think of yourself as a regenerative <laughs> pharmacologist. Am I right? I bet you've used those words. Come on. Oh no! I've used the
1: word. I've used the word. Yeah. I'm aspiring. I, I'm, I have a lot more reverence and respect for the concept of regeneration now. And But well, I, we're I,
0: using I, you as a stand-in for your yeah, listeners. Yeah, so yeah, when yeah. I'm challenging you, I'm challenging them. Yeah. Someone i ask you the question you just asked that they should ask themselves is, with what am I working to evolve its capacity? And how am I evolving my capacity? Do I even know the inverse to do something for it that would I think would be good? And secondly... Are you doing that in a way that it can evolve its own essence? Do you know what its essence is? Mm-hmm. Does it know? Do we have how we spent the time being able to see it and gotten our own ego out of the way so we don't impose it? If you haven't done all that work, which you know, Regenesis calls doing a story of place so that it has its story and its voice, not ours, then whoever is listening, stop using the term regeneration.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, or yeah. Maybe I'll start by applying it to permaculture because yeah, I'm I'm realizing like a lot of things. There's there's flavors of all four of these paradigms in in permaculture. Yeah, its its center of gravity is certainly at the least doing good. It's not extracting value, but that's there sometimes, and there can certainly be flavors of address uh, arresting disorder. You know, like use mm-hmm. use less plastic or, or whatever.
0: And it's not that any of that's just no. fly out bad.
1: No, no, saying- yeah. That's what I love about this. I mean, we we're going to come back to that idea because you're saying it's not judgmental, but it'd be good to touch on that again. It's full of
0: judgment, but it's called using judgment yeah. versus judgmental. Yes. Yeah. Go and ahead. it's
1: not like you're, you're bad and less evolved because you're here. It's, it's like, let's just be clear that these are options and you are where you are. But no, anyway, are
0: Nope, they're not options. Tell me more. All right. We need to go back down the other way. If what you've done is you've done the work to find out the essence of a place, let's talk about a homestead, you might be, they've asked you to come do a permaculture plan for them. If you don't do, if if you do a story of place, which includes a watershed in which that is nested, Mm -hmm. and you say, now how do I evolve the capacity of this watershed and things that are in it and this aspect while I do permaculture, you've got a good start. Then you go back and you would ask, what would they say is the good thing to do here based on their work. So do good is defined not from me Ah, or another human, but from the regenerate life paradigm. So you're going back. Now Now I can go to arrest disorder and say, okay, in all living systems, there are things that are born and new and there are things that must die. There are things we need to do less of and things we need to do more of. So the arrest disorder was a part of something Hmm. and the, the do-good was a part of something, but they were without being informed from the essence of that and the evolving capacity. So now we can come back and say, now, what's it really important to do, less of? And it might be true, it might not, that single plastic use might be one of the things we need to arrest on. Mm-hmm. I think it might. And I've been watching Google work on that for a long time. At first, I thought, that's just another arrest disorder. The problem is they don't have it in the context of a, a regenerative thought. They have notably figured out and picked a thing. I mean, the other thing, arresting disorder, might be young girls being forced into marriage the minute they can menstruate and produce children, or before. And therefore, their potential is never brought into the world. Hmm. I think that might be something we want to arrest disorder on. But if that's all we do, we do really don't give young girls or the life of a watershed something else beyond just stopping or or using now we're using what steel straws i have some steel straws so I don't you have plastic single use i'm not sure that's going to be enough but it might be one of the things if i've come from the top down can you see that
1: yeah Yeah, no this is this is a bit of a mind-blowing moment here in terms of yeah i hadn't considered that at all, the possibility of, and would that apply to value return too? Are there sense, are there senses yeah. the senses of, yeah. The, right yes, now,
0: the, now what do I have a right to get a return yeah, on? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So yeah.
0: for me, I need to make a living. I'm not a wealthy person. It's by the fact that I've written five podcasts, run tons of books, have people. I have done so much for free in my life and lost so much money in various investments that I have to work. And mm-hmm. the good news is I love what I do. And until I can't, I will. -hmm. But what is it okay for me to gain value on? What what is appropriate? And my principle is not that I get more back than I give, it's that I give more than I get back. And that doesn't have to be financially. I have to give more value. So you're one of my CAD members. You pay to come study with me. There are some things I say no to you on all the time, right? And I'm saying first, that's not a value return. You're asking for something that I first don't think will help you. But more importantly, I wanna give you something you never conceived of the incapability that would shift something for you. Now I feel really good about you paying me, mm-hmm. right? I don't feel at all guilty whatsoever that you send me money because I know, including your agreeing to do the second show, it will support what you're trying to do and where you're going in life.
1: Mm-hmm. No, That's be- a value be- return. That's beautiful. Yeah, I res- resonate with that. I've been occupying a sim- similar space. Like I feel really good about charging what I charge, but I commit to myself that I'm going to be giving more value. Yeah. Than Above that.
0: and beyond, beyond reproach.
1: So this is exciting. So options, because it's like it's possible to operate from an extract value, value paradigm, right? Then you can go up through the nest enlarge, and large.
0: and well, I. Well, what you, you really want to do is go to the top and come down. You know, yeah, don't ever yeah. want to build up. Always go to the top and come down. But, but I have to introduce them from the bottom up, so you can see how they happen. Exactly.
1: Yeah, that's how you kind of get there, because it's yeah. like it'll be pretty hard to understand regenerate life from an extract value starting point. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: Okay. So yeah, but so you have to introduce them that way. But then they all have their place when you when you come well, down to well, regenerate don't life. Don't say
0: they all have their place. That flattens it again. Oh, what I see. you want to yeah. do is you want to do the thinking coming down. And then some of the acting you will have going up, but you have to learn going up. And so just this morning, the group of business people I was working with, I had them look, given the crisis that we're in and you have businesses which could be in terrible trouble, people can't get to stores, et cetera. Mm -hmm. what What do you do at the most basic level so that you can stay in existence? And we climbed up but eventually, I said, "All right, now that you know where you are at the top, now take action from the top down." Yeah, yeah. So it's not like you pick and choose. You better have that top embedded in everyone flooding it, or else you're not doing regeneration. You're yeah, picking yeah. and choosing. Yeah,
1: if that's if that's your thing or you're aspiring toward it, then you gotta you gotta be doing it that way. I was thinking about the phrase. there's a phrase in permaculture: "Think global, act local." I mean. Maybe we not need to break that, that down.
0: No, permaculture didn't come up with that. But anyway, what about it?
1: Oh, it, was, it just came to mind as you were talking. Because, well, oh. you know, you start locally, you can just see what's right there. And then you can go, oh, hang on, I'm in a,
0: right. I'm
1: right. In a life shed. I'm in a, a, a state. I'm in a country or whatever.
0: Right. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, part of
1: a, I'm part of a globe. And hang on, what would it mean to think from the perspective of the globe to what I do locally? In the sense?
0: about all we can do as humans. Yeah. Even though we've been out in space, we're lucky if we can hold Mother Earth. Uh, and I, were you one of the person asked me why I said Mother Earth?
1: No, I but I'll, I'm asking you now. Why what, what do you say Mother Earth?
0: Oh, waste farmers. The JP asked me that, and he said, "Is that gender specific?" And I said, "No. What it evokes, it's a metaphor, and it's always been used that way because when we can see our mother, most of us want our mother to be healthy and vital and alive, and we understand how she is the holder of so much that you're trying to rapidly transform metaphorically the emotional experience people want to have and the guy James what's his name that did Gaia was he the one that came up with mother James I Lovelock. Yeah. right I think he's the one who may have said mother earth and I heard him speak one time and that's what he said it's the metaphor oh. that it's evoking of the experience so that's why I do it
1: Mm -hmm. that's great in in New Zealand I think a lot of indigenous cultures it's mother earth father sky right anyway I wanted one thing that came to mind earlier with with permaculture I I believe you're spot on there that permaculture uh, is primarily operating from a doing good paradigm and there's there's the potential to enlarge or whatever how you call it move to a regenerate life perspective and I wanted to share one example I we do permaculture design consultancy and done a lot in the past and I remember a customer I got there I said so what do you want how can I help you what do you want to do and he said, I want you to give us a permaculture garden. I said, well, so what kind of things do you want in your garden? He said, I don't know. Just just, you, just do what give you me. do. Give, give us a permaculture garden. I was like, I need, I need something from you. He said, just just like do what you do and put us on, make a YouTube afterwards, put us on the thing. We just want permaculture from you, you know, which is, <laughs> is a kind of explicit example of doing good in the yeah. sense so of So
0: how did you get him to move or did you just build him something? No, no, different? no,
1: no. I, I got him to yeah. move. In your language, there had to be a bit of a shock or a disruption. It was pretty yeah. gentle, but it was like, "Uh, uh-uh, we ain't taking a step further until I get something out of you." Do you know what
0: you were working on there? Because this fits with the paradigm. Do you know what you were trying to shock him from and to? I do.
1: Tell me then. I could think about. Well, it, you but...
0: got to you got to try okay. first. Okay, let me have
1: a go. Let me have a go. So he he was, he may have been coming from extract. Value right in the sense yeah, of
0: that's what I would say. Yeah, the value I, to him was being seen as a good citizen. Yeah, yeah. I want to be
1: on your website, it, and want, I'll pay
0: I, you. You're the expert, and there's a lot of expertise at that bottom level or thought of as expertise. Okay,
1: and in and terms you weren't of
0: trying to shock him uh, into arrest disorder or even do good, I mean, you, I don't think you were probably aware of where you could have gone, and you no. may have. Let me share with you what I thought since we've got a although you can edit out a lot of this if you want, but if I'd been in that situation, I would have known that I had no idea what the essence of the place was, Mm -hmm. the essence of him and his life and that of his family Mm. and what it was they were seeking to do. How could I evolve their capacity to be and live on this land? And so I think I would probably never walk in again asking what they want. I would walk in asking, who are you? Tell me mm-hmm. about your mm-hmm. life.
1: Yeah, I love that. What
0: do you know about this place? I probably would have even done research and say, do you know this about this story and what used to travel through here and the kind of Buffalo or, or the Maori tribes when they were doing X? And I'd probably bring, bring all that to wake up something. So yeah. that was what I was seeing as some
1: potential yeah that's great i don't know if we'll get there today i, I had a note I'd, I'd love to explore the language around want desire intention aim purpose all that stuff but that's probably for another time but i love yeah. that too and i've moved i've definitely moved in that direction of like who are you and who is this yeah. place and
0: what makes it
1: what's possible here I'll, i also wanted to mention just thinking viewing permaculture through the lens of these paradigms i do work with one of the co-originators david holmgren and get him out to read landscape on projects which which I think resonates with part of what it's not as explicit, but it, but it has some resonance with the story of place stuff in the sense that what he's doing is deeply reading and getting in touch with the uniqueness of this particular, this land, you know, in quite an incredible way. And yet he actually gave up trying to teach that because he, he was struggling to teach it. Cause he, what, yeah. what, one thing that's that I've been able to bring is when I move through the landscape with him and he's reading landscape, I'm reading him read landscape and telling him right. what I'm seeing him do and so right. his literacy and awareness of what he's actually doing is increasing. So he's coming back to, all oh, right, we can actually offer well, people inroads we're to this. Well,
0: Genesis, who stayed with, with Bill, the other half of that yeah. uh, co-founding yeah. team, yeah. has the same problem. You can't teach it because it's a different mind. Mm. And what you're seeing is system come alive. You are now my shaman who is talking to the ayahuasca or to the animals. I mean, he, he told me when I said I was worried about the leopards and this guy was going out stark naked out into the forest. And he said, just talk to the leopard. No, no way am I going to be good at that. And I bet he could see, if he had had the language of essence, he would have learned about nodal. He was probably looking at the level that Regenesis started until they came into contact with the founders of Regenesis. They all kind of knew, but they didn't know the concept of it actually has, a core process a way of being in the world and in the nested so he probably did he could feel all that but if you don't have names for it you don't have frameworks for it you can't teach it plus you don't have the technology to teach people how to see their own mind Mm. takes both of those
1: yeah i think it's a really exciting edge all right look i'm conscious of time let me apply these paradigms to a few different things and you can see me right or whatever so I mentioned before we started recording that I've had a bit of a journey in relationship to my gut recently. And I've realized for me, it's been a useful way of helping me understand this stuff. So I started having these symptoms, queasiness, sickness, all this, what's going on. And like yeah. in November last year and bit of vomiting and all this. Um, and my really? gut's always been, I hadn't really even noticed it existed until that point in my life. Cause I just, I just throw food in my mouth and right. it, it into it energy. What's that?
0: Took it for granite.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and there's, I don't, I don't know if I'm forcing it here. I think some of the other ones are clearer, but there, it was almost an extract value mentality. I didn't really, I just, you know, I just threw food in it and I got energy back yeah. um, without thinking about it. And then, of course, I got these these symptoms. I had a test and I, I had a uh, parasitic protozoa or bacteria or something, blastocystis oh. hominis. Anyway, there were some bad yeah. bugs in my gut, right? And the symptoms that that could cause overlap with my own so it's like that's probably what's causing it and so suddenly my mentality was definitely it was arrest disorder it was like yep. less bad like kill those freaking bad bugs that are in right. my gut and i haven't taken them but i got a prescription for an antibiotic nuclear bomb you know you take these things and they just yep. destroy they destroy you all kill life. The, good and the bad they kill the whole lot yeah and researching yep. it but i was pretty desperate and, I, and it, that was my mentality it was like i just want to kill these bastards you know i want to get yep. them gone um, but did some research and was like, hey, it kills the good and the bad and, and sometimes people's gut flora will never fully recover in their lifetime from that kind of hit. good for you. Um so I started researching it and then I discovered a a, a diet called the Gap Diet Protocol and it it, it says, you yeah. know, remove the foods of the bad bugs and
0: the one that what feeds the bad bugs, don't eat
1: it. Don't eat that, so stop eating grains yeah. and, and take probiotics. So we're probi- still in
0: a rest disorder.
1: Right, yeah. Yes, yes, that's, that's right. right. And take probiotics. Um, which right. is a bit, a bit of both because it's doing good, but it's also to take them so they, they lessen the bad bugs. Right. And for a while, I thought, oh, I'm actually regenerating life now because I'm, I'm healing my gut and supporting regenerate regenerative stuff. But then I realized, no, how am I doing it? I'm following this template. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm reading a book, which is The Gap's Diet, and you do this and you don't do this. Right. So it's all based on someone else's definition of good. And I'm getting a lot out of it, and it's beneficial. But then over time, and I'm realizing- a
0: bad place to start. You c- yeah. got aware of your own working system.
1: Yeah, well, that's right. It was a stepping stone toward, hang on, I can start to observe myself in ways I haven't before and what's coming out of me and, you know, like, and how I'm feeling and all that kind of stuff and notice what I'm eating and I can move towards getting in touch with the uniqueness of my gut and my life. And you know what I mean?
0: Let me add a piece here because I think it's something I didn't say when we talked about do good, which you were doing here. When you go to do good, the thing that can get you out of the colonizing, projecting thing is to actually do systems assessment and that's what you're describing what was his name the co-founder of permaculture david homgren so david right david was able to read systems and therefore make sense and can improve the working of those systems and so he was mostly able to do good because he didn't yet have the idea of essence or but he did have some of the evolved capacity Mm-hmm. You did too, you and going into figuring out your own system, we moving into a do good for your system, but you were first doing it with a template, but that let you learn how your system worked.
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's really exciting too, because the psychology of it shifted to, I want to get rid of the bad bugs. So I just go back to business as usual to hang on, I can come out of this grateful for the bad bugs because my I'm, I know myself, my gut, I'm, I'm yeah. healthier and all these different, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, that's that's useful. That worked, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Can we can we have a crack, or can I have a crack at applying it to coronavirus? Because I know that's on everyone's minds right now. It's unprecedented. Yeah,
0: I don't know enough to help you, but I'm willing to listen. Well, I can run. So,
1: in terms of the the global situation that's unfolding, there's flavors of all these things shown. There's extract value in the simple sense that people are running and and hoarding and buying all the, the toilet paper and masks and all that and selling them at ridiculous prices. So they're they're like clearly from an extract value self-referential thing and then then i'd say the bulk of the global efforts are arrest disorder right killer yeah we're
0: trying to slow down overloading of the health care system through yeah arrest yeah and disorder.
1: and it's it's been referred to in the headlines as a as enemy of humanity and it's a it's a battle um, right me- yeah. metaphor there are
0: wars yeah wars happen at arrest disorder
1: yeah yeah we're, we're killing this thing i don't know if that because there's the talk too about oh this is horrific and the global recession all that there's also the counter-narrative that, or that hey this is perhaps a wake-up call for humanity and there could be some good that comes out of this this is a shock that might reset home economies and all this kind of thing I, I don't know I'm getting a bit less sure about that but there's certainly I'm, I haven't picked up any flavors of what I'd call regenerate life in the whole dialogue or no I haven't
0: either and I haven't pick, heard much and again I have to say I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about this because I do build people's ability to think and some people go to apply to that, but I don't do as much applying unless it's economics or business. I do hear the one thing I heard yesterday for the first time is how, I mean, people like me, I mean, I'm almost 80 years old. I am one of the highest risk people. The good news is I'm pretty healthy. I have a few aging problems, but you know, I'm, I'm fine young people who are unlikely to be devastatingly affected are going shopping for people like me and bringing and putting outside my door and there's that's one small example of about a hundred they were giving that it is activating external considering hmm. and external considering on a large scale is do good it depends on whether you're evoking it. so yeah I think where that's happening that's a do good
1: can I just for listeners this idea of external considering yeah my understanding it's a, it's around Rather than just simply considering your own perspective, actually sitting in the perspective of others and.
0: Yeah, it's actually sh- more than sitting in the perspective, it's actually shifting into to the understanding of how things work for them. Because mostly staying in other people's shoes is an empathetic kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, rarely even goes to compassion, much less caring, which are to me the continuum of external considering. But using where we started with saying self-referential and then redefining self, that's an external considering process to go from self-referential, it's all about me and my family or my neighborhood to me on a planet or in a community of some kind. That's a process of going from only thinking about myself to thinking about more than myself. But Mm. thinking about it, to me, it's only really external considering when you care enough that you want to Change the situation in terms of its capability to manage itself in life, which is mm-hmm. what we're trying to do with your gut. You want it to be able to do its own work, and you got to be a partner in that yes. to get it yep. working. Then yep. that would be too yep.
1: good. Yeah, and it's—I mean—that—that's just been unbelievably empowering and exciting. That, that whole journey. I'm sure. I'm excited after this call to walk around and because I'm—I'm on the edge of a small country town here, and, and to sit with this idea, what would it mean for me to kind of anchor myself or, or or approach this from a regenerate life perspective at a community yeah. level, and then move back down. Okay, what what good are we going to do? On whose terms? And what order are we going to rest? And where's the value return? Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about that. And well, part of it, tell what
0: you come up with. I'll be fascinated.
1: Yeah, move it along, and maybe share those resources too.
0: Is Great. Uh, Write what, a paper. what are some steps
1: we can take? Yeah, what can you do in your family, individually, in your community? Love it. And if we can come out of this thing more connected with the uniqueness of our places and ourselves and our community oh. groups than wow love it that's that's an example of your just one of one of the simpler distinctions that i use so much in my thinking now is moving from problems to potential and problem yeah. solving is clearly um arresting disorder yep and potential is not
0: that we never need to do it but it oh. should not be the driving force of our lives yeah
1: there's there's zero like oh we don't we can stop trying to get rid of the you know, virus it's like right. yeah that work can be part of the mix but how can that sit within a, what's the potential here? Right. Question mark. Great. Um, while this is, uh, I'm an ambitious guy. I had a list of um, topics I'm really, I'd am really. i be really excited to explore with you.
0: Well, we, we may have to do a third podcast. There we isn't? go.
1: That was hoping you'd say that. I mean, yeah. I think this has been really juicy and just lovely for you to, for you to take in the time to really take us through that. And, and I've benefited and I'm sure that listeners will get a heap out of it too. And I'm really excited for these four. I have.
0: I have so much more about this in my new book. We talked about we wanted to Oh yes, we want to
1: touch on that. Yeah, tell us about that. Um
0: So the new book is called The Regenerative Life. Yes. The Top Level Paradigm at a Personal Level. Ah nice. I hadn't uh, picked up on that. Yeah. Yeah. You it's this one is it will work in business, but it's for roles in life. And it's not roles you are, it's roles you take on. Like it has nine roles that if you play them out at a regenerate life level, you can actually change the world from sitting in whatever you're in, you don't have to change your career. So you are an earth tender. Well, erase that. You play an earth tender role. Yep. You also play a spirit resource role. Those are two different roles that I have in the book mm-hmm. that I believe are the nine roles it takes to transform society and then multiple societies. Uh, so I have these nine that we did and you were part of the project, right? Yeah, and it's
1: it's funny because I the the role I was in in the book was the media content creator.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: So I'm across uh, three of these things.
0: <laughs> right. And I probably have played all of them in my life. Yeah. Uh, at various times. And so I think we do over time and we do at various times need one versus the other. You have clearly when you leave here and go think and think about how you move stuff, you're moving into the regenerative designer role. Mm, yep. You're thinking how to design something, and then you're going to be a media content creator to convey it. Yep. So I give the essence of each of those roles in the book, but I give a, a more of the story with my grandfather, how I learned about these paradigms, and how he taught me by going out to feed the pigs, and watching me engage as a teenager, growing up how to make sense, how my grandfather would help anybody who's got children think about how do you get your children to see the world through paradigms? Because then they're less susceptible to peer pressure and other people's thinking because they know there are different ways to see things. And if anybody wants to buy books in bulk, we can figure that out. But I'm doing several things for that. One is I will give a company, usually it is, the person who founded it, Uh, An Essence Reveal, I'm doing that on Monday with JP Maxfield, you know, Waste Farmers, do you know him? I'm sure some of your folks around here listen to you, Will, in exchange for he bought books, Mm -hmm. and it will give him guidance for his company, or people can join the book club. I've created a fairly extensive workbook, and you can take it and work with any one of these groups, any one of these roles with a workbook in an organization with a group of people. Plus, I have six more recorded calls only you have access to that give you something behind it. I've also created something that the, um, one of the roles is educator. And so I've created a seed community for two of the roles, the entrepreneur and the educator. That's the, reg- and those are ongoing communities where we learn what the essence of being an entrepreneur is. You're one of those too. And the essence of the regenerative uh, educator. And we had, you know, we had over a hundred people involved in this project. And so we're now taking all that work that was in an action learning project and putting it into communities where people can meet together. And in the the, um, one of them, I have people out of Europe and out of the Middle East, as well as out of the U.S. and Mexico. So it's a little harder when we talk about doing it with Deep Pacific, but I'm, I'm going to work on
1: that. Mm, no, this is so exciting. Yeah. And, and I, I was thinking before the call, actually, I don't generally kind of get that excited or certainly like promote books and all that. But in this case, it's like I'm promoting this book. Like I, I'm so excited by it. Dan Palmer super highly recommends this.
0: It's book. it's my best book. I mean, I've written nine books, five on my own, four with some other people, most of which are out of print. Uh, and, Everybody that has read all of them says this is the best one because I finally gave it so an individual can do something before it all. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah, a lot of people, I've infected people with a lot of interest in your work. And My sister actually just joined one of your communities the other day. But yeah, which book shall I read? What book shall I read? I said, just hang on and read this one. Read The Regenerative Life because it applies to everyone. You'll find resonance there. You can
0: also go to my website, carolsanter.com, and I have an overview of all five books and how they fit together. Yeah, so great, anyone who great. wants to know because they asked me that too and i said i don't know what you're working on but here's yeah. what it's about yeah. Yeah,
1: and I'll in the show notes i'll mention and talk a little bit about the cad communities these change ancient development yeah. communities where every welcome
0: th- to join that too.
1: two months or whatever we have a, th- a two or three hour call with carol yeah
0: about every six to eight weeks depending on it's eight a year Yeah. and you're yeah. welcome although who knows where you're going to be able to do it this year you get a trip an opportunity to come to seattle and meet with the global because i've got those cad groups change agent development groups in Europe, Middle East, in the US, Canada, Mexico and in the Pacific. So
1: yeah, and I see see more and more permaculturists popping up there. So I'm looking forward to getting them on the show too so we can explore that edge together.
0: That would be great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like um Brad Lancaster I just learned the other day yeah. and he's, he, I've got to get Ethan Sullivan on the show.
0: Yeah well. definitely yeah. Brad has two new books that are amazing. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, on oh, how to manage water in yeah. you know, just magical ways. And yeah, then Ethan, of course, and Gregory have a great book too.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome.
0: All right. Okay, we we done thanks done so much. Damage we, for day.
1: What did you say done enough damage, we've we've returned enough value, rested enough to sort of done enough good and regenerated enough life to
0: I like that. For now.
1: Really <laughs> I probably That's I should have said in the other order, but anyway. <laughs> thanks so much, Carol.
0: You're
1: so welcome, Dan. Wow, Carol Sanford, another extraordinary conversation, as Joel Glansberg described her—a um, force of nature. And I really, I hope you you, you got some value out of that. I, I find it incredibly, an incredibly powerful framework. And as I said at the beginning, after our conversation, I slept on it, and a whole lot of clarity fell out in terms of how I've been uh, navigating all four levels or, or paradigms in ever since the reality of the coronavirus landed for me and so on the next conversation i'm going to share that uh, and I'm, I'm kind of excited it's around how we move from value return up toward at least do good if not regenerate life um, but how, how and i think it probably has to play it that way for most of us but then how that opens up the possibility that we can come back down and and work at the at the lower three paradigms um, informed by the by the, mm, the larger perspective, or however you want to call it, of the regenerate life layer. Now, I will link to Carol's latest book, The Regenerative Life, which actually just showed up about an hour ago um, at my place. I ordered a couple of copies. So I might even put a photo of me holding up a copy and smiling into the camera on the show notes. What the heck? Uh, I will link to her change agent development communities or seed communities. Uh, there's a Deep Pacific group for people in New Zealand and Australia that I've been a part of for about eight months, and I'm getting a heck of a lot out of. She um, she each time she presents a framework, and she always starts by kind of shocking people awake, like getting us to think about how we approach something, and then she has a framework that where we can sort of place our pre-existing approach in a larger context and then there's this our thing for people at a certain tier where she does a fishbowl which is it's a bit like what you experienced if you listen to my first conversation with Carol which I recommend where someone tells her about a project they've got going on or something they'd like help with and she uses living systems framework in real time in the moment to help them evolve their capacity to move towards acting regeneratively with regard to that project which involves a lot of destabilization, a lot of disruption, pretty gripping stuff. Uh, I'll link to that. I'll I'll ask her about that white paper she mentioned about Einstein, the 17 different ways Einstein talked about how we need to change the mind we're working from. You know, Einstein's definition of insanity, doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And I'll link to anything else I can think of. You can find the website this podcast is part of at makingpermaculturestronger.net uh, There's a lot of content there, Uh, and as I said at the start, there'll be a focus for however long it needs to be on uh, making sense of the coronavirus through the perspective of permaculture design process. Um, There's places you can support the project, there's places, ways that you can join an online community, where similar to the group I'm part of that Carol runs, I run a group now where every six weeks or so uh, we come together online and explore this kind of thing together and, and seek to collaboratively co-evolve each other's capacity to see and work with uh, complexity as permaculture design process uh, facilitators. I'll wrap it up there and I really look forward to sharing where this conversation with Carol took me and how relevant I do think it is to the current situation and how excited that makes me feel to realize that oh, it is possible to bridge the gap between powerful, useful theory or ideas or frameworks and second-by-second, minute-by-minute, day-by-day reality of life. I actually left university years ago because I couldn't see the way between the two. Kind of clouds of abstract ideas that I knew were useful, but how, how to actually inject those into everyday life. And I feel like that's becoming true through my work with Permaculture, through my engagement with people like Carol Sanford, and through my ability to share all this stuff with beautiful people like you. Hey, I really hope you're feeling you're traveling well, that you're feeling um, safe, informed, resourced, um, that you and your family members are in a good place, that you're managing the panic, the anxiety that I'm sure a lot of us are feeling right now. Maybe look, not looking at the news right before bed and all that kind of stuff. And I look forward to moving forward this mo- moving forward through this thing as a as a community of sorts together and i will catch you in episode 34.